Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals, David Moore and Evan Grant. Fellas, how are we doing? Evan's uh, all hunkered down in like a turtle into his huge sweater. Apparently, the, the heat is not working at, at his lovely abode. Cardigan? Is that a cardigan there, Evan? Uh, it's uh, Uncle Fester's sweater. Yeah. You, you, you look alarmingly like Uncle Fester right now. That's uh... Can you do that thing with the light bulb? <laughs> no. I don't have one here. I try and put it in my mouth to see if it works. Oh, my gosh. I'm still coming down from the high that is the Sherrington Christmas party. Yeah, that's a high, all right, Pally. It was a, it was a, it was a big one. You know, it's, it's not like it was pre-COVID when it, it might get over 300 people. But we think there was about 200 people there. And the best part about it is, is that it requires a toy for admittance. And then we donate those to Channel 8 Santa Helpers. And they they came and took them away. It was 13 40-gallon garbage bags full. 19 uh, garbage bags full of toys. Uh, and then a couple of bicycles. So, very cool. Kevin, we don't Kevin, want to say garbage of- bag. Just say they were... Garbage bag. We put them in the garbage. Well, I, yeah, I, I, that was completely unnecessary. <clears throat> the garbage. Well, the garbage. Just say bags. You didn't need to say garbage bags. Christmas bags. I say yeah. Christmas bags. Well, I, I say, say garbage bags. Well, they weren't. They were contractor bags. Forty-two gallon contractor bag. You know, you contractor guys, bags. That's fine. They're Santa bags. The, it's the word garbage. garbage. It's the word garbage at Christmas time that really. Brings a whole Grinch level to this thing. You bring the Grinch level to this thing. Speaking of things that I bring to this thing, how many years have I been coming to this Christmas party, Kevin? Well, you haven't been to it in years. Is that true? This is the first. Yeah, that is true. It's the first time you've been there in years. We all talked about it after. You know, I know why that is because usually it's on the Sunday of the winter meetings, and you pushed it back this year. But every time I've ever come to the party. I bring the same toy. Do you really? Yeah. Is it a dreidel? It is not. I have, I don't know why I bring the same thing, but I bring a giant Tonka truck. Oh, that's a great gift. I I don't know why. That's like what I think of. Like, what do I want to give to a toy drive? Tonka truck. Sure. Tonka trucks. It's a big old yellow steel dump truck. You don't have to explain it to me, pal. A big fan of the Tonka truck. Are you? Yeah, yeah. We have we still have the ones. They're up in the attic, all rusted and beat up. That uh, that were Jake's when he was a a tot, and he is now thirty two years old with his own tot, and one on the way uh, is expected on the 29th of this month. Wow! As a matter of fact, do you want I'm me like, to bring another truck for for that tot? No, that's quite all right. He's going to get one of those rusted ones in the attic. <laughs> that's right. That's here, kid. Exactly what he's getting. Play with the rusted one. Yeah. A lot of memories yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're tripping down memory lane. It was a lovely party. There were a lot of chicken nuggets. I have to say this. There were a lot of chicken nuggets. And every time the chicken nugget tray was empty, somehow magically there were more chicken nuggets available. We have a little uh, a chicken nugget dispenser. 
uh, and you just go over and you hit a little thing on it, and they just roll out. I thought you were going to say we have a little chicken making nuggets back there. <laughs> no, we, we don't. Well, it'd be at the state fair where you have the little chicken go over and peck at it, and the nuggets come out. That would be. Well, a you, know the, you know what the That's most surprising idea. thing about the old Christmas party was, Kevin? What's that, Evan? That it happened on Sunday night, and not one of the two hundred people who was there came up to me and said, "My God, the Cowboys!" How great they are! No, they definitely didn't say that, but they also didn't seem to be too. They they did. They didn't seem to be phased by the beating that the Cowboys took in Buffalo. Well, I had a few people ask me about it. Uh, it was uh, yeah. Fairly brutal. We were kind of because the party actually started at five thirty, so we still had it on. And talk about Grinch and bringing the Christmas party down. The Cowboys on all the TV sets that really did it. Of course, David was getting to see it firsthand. Uh, I tell you, David, almost as soon as the game started and things started going south, I thought, oh, well, they're they're not correcting this. This this is to me. This looked like early Mike McCarthy. Cowboys teams, you know, penalties, making mistakes, just compound. Once something bad happens, it's like one dumb, one dumb domino after another. It just they just keep falling and falling and falling. Yeah, what is I think they're uh, the the difference in home and road is just so stark. I think they're averaging uh, unbeaten at home, averaging thirty nine point nine points. That's down to they average twenty one point seven points on the road. Uh, so that's a, that's a 18 point swing. Basically every time, uh, they play at home versus road, they, um, the, look, they're going to need to go on the road at some point in the playoffs, arguably for all of the playoffs. Although the, uh, the Seattle upset of Philadelphia, uh, put a, a little twist in things here on Monday night. So as of right now, you can say how bad Dallas looked. They were horrible. All of that is true. They deserve it. They are also at the moment in first place in the division. Well, that's the thing, David. But doesn't that even make it worse in a way? Here it was. Seattle gives you a gift. You know, they, they pulled off the upset. You could be in first place all by yourself if you had just. Now, now I will say well, they this. gave you a gift after the fact. I will say. I will say Philadelphia was closer to winning this weekend than Dallas was. So, well, that's that's the flip side. I will now look. Let's go back and talk about Buffalo a little bit. Buffalo's a better team than what their record suggests they are. You know, and they're and, desperate, which at this time of year makes a big difference in these games. Usually, everyone always talks about these good teams, and we talked about it last week a little bit, I believe. the The good teams running the table, and you know, uh, people are talking about well, if Dallas and Philadelphia both went out. Uh, Philadelphia has the edge. And my point was always, both of these teams aren't going to win out. Every year, one of the top teams in the league, they lose in December. And why is that? Because their place in the playoffs is, in essence, kind of locked in. And they face a team that is desperate either for seeding or just to make the playoffs. And that's what Buffalo was. And Buffalo resurrected its season gave itself the chance, rekindled a bad season with that win in Kansas City. And for them to build on that and get back to where they expect to be, they needed to beat Dallas. Uh, what was surprising was just the magnitude in which they beat Dallas, not the fact they beat them. I, I thought the Bills would win the game just because it meant more to them, and they're a pretty well-balanced team all the way through. 
But for Dallas not to even be competitive in that game, uh, that's, I think, what's so difficult for Cowboy fans to wrap their head around. Yeah, the, the deal is, is that Buffalo's struggles this year have been Josh Allen throwing interceptions, you know. Yeah. And in this game, he only threw the ball, what, 15 he only times? Threw 15. He only threw four times in the second half. And I can tell you, all four of those times in the second half, I was going, why is he throwing the ball? There's no need for him to throw the ball. He could have stopped with his 11 pass attempts at halftime, and they would have been perfectly fine. So how alarmed – so so all of this gets to the point that the Cowboys were absolutely gashed um, on the run. And we know that the conditions were not great, uh, and that may be an issue if they end up on the road in the playoffs. But, David, how much of a concern is the, the run defense as we head into the last three weeks? Well, that's always been their Achilles heel. I mean, this team is built – to rush the passer, it has speed, long, angular players. It's built to rush the passer, put uh, the quarterback under constant duress, get t- turnovers, whether fumbles or interceptions on the back end, and be opportunistic. But in order to do all of that, it has to stop the run to a certain level. Otherwise, teams won't let them play to their defensive strengths. And you know, Buffalo is one of the few teams, in my mind, that that – can do that against them. It's easy to say that, but it's interesting. They have some teams coming up. Detroit can do that. Detroit has two outstanding backs. Uh, Miami has a couple of good backs. Now, they run it differently than what Buffalo does, but uh, these next two teams are going to test their run defense. I'm not sure Jonathan Hankins will be back. Not to put it all on Hankins, because when you look at how often uh, Buffalo was getting yardage on the edge, uh, but Hankins shores up the middle uh, they're just a much more coordinated, disciplined run defense with Hankins in there. Mozzie Smith, their first round pick, showed he's not really to contrib- not ready to contribute uh, at, at a valuable level, uh, especially not for a playoff team. You know, they were just kind of piecing it together in there. All of that being said, I think they had twelve missed tackles. They constantly let you know Buffalo get to the edge, and and, and that hurt them. I, I I will say I think it's. To me, though, what makes them more difficult for the Dallas run defense, and to me, this has been another constant, Dallas has had an issue with with quarterbacks that are really good running quarterbacks. Now, I think Miami and Detroit are both good running teams, but they don't particularly have running quarterbacks. So I think that will make it a little bit easier for Dallas to defend. And and we've seen this defense every time it's embarrassed um, come back and respond the next week. So I would anticipate that would be the case here. But then you get into, okay, if this is really an elite defense, why do they have to be humiliated two, three, four times a year and come back? Does that mean they're not an elite defense? And that's a that's a pretty good argument to have as well, I think. Kevin, what's your panic level? Well, the thing that bothered me the most about this game was uh, the stupid stuff. Look, uh, you you get outplayed sometimes. Yeah, four 15-yard penalties in the first half. Yeah, I mean, there's there's schemes and things that that happen, and you get surprised and and conditions and all that, and those things happen in the NFL, and and you may not like them and you think that they're, they're bad, but those are things sometimes out of your control. The personal fouls and the stupid stuff like that, that's not out of your control. You know, I thought that I couldn't believe that Greg Olson on the broadcast gave Zach Martin a pass 
for running all the way across the field and chest bumping the, the guy who barely even ticked Dak Prescott on that play. After the, you know, the Cowboys, they had drawn a flag and the Cowboys were going to move the ball 15 more yards down the field. And now that's been negated because, you know, Zach Martin runs over there in this false bravado of, uh, you know, being out to protect his teammate. You know, I, I think it that the game has moved past that. You know, that the game has moved or it should have moved past the point where you think you have to, you know, you have to uh, have your teammates backs in this game. The officials had Dax back in that in that uh, situation. There's too much money being bet on these games. The games mean too much this time of year for people to think, oh, yeah, it's OK to go over there and kind of knock a guy out. I, I th- Those kind of things and the other penalties, you know, we can complain about. Uh, you know, Demarcus Lawrence, well, he didn't really give him a forearm shiver. He just kind of hit him a little bit. I would, I would ask, what's the point of that? What's the, if you're not going to lay the guy out, he's this huge quarterback, then what's the point of giving him a love tap? I mean, but we, we've been here before. We've been here before year after year with this, right? This has been an issue with the Cowboys under Mike McCarthy, the number of penalties. I know last year at this time of year, I was the one sounding the alarm on this thing. Um, so, again, it brings me back to this question, is what's your level of panic at this point if they're playing a key game on the road and they're making those kinds of mistakes? Forget about the run stuff for a minute. The stuff that you just talked about that you should be able to control, what's your panic level? Well, that's, I want to just say that that's the problem with that to me was that the players admitted, well, it kind of just, I don't know, we were kind of discombobulated by by the personal foul penalties. It's like, Wow, I can't believe we're, we're, this is happening. And it's like, well, then quit doing it. You know, it, it, it's just, it, 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 you should be able to rise above that. This is not a team. They are a young team, generally speaking, but it's not a team full of rookies. These are guys, these are veterans. These are guys who should rise above these types of things. This is where I feel like, you know, when the Cowboys had the opportunity to sign Bobby Wagner a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I would, you know, besides the fact that Bobby Wagner is not going to get run over and he's not going to let these things happen out on the field where it looked like football, I mean, like rugby scrums, you know, they're, they're going down the field and they're just pushing the running backs with them. And the Cowboys are all standing around the borders of it, kind of pushing with their hands. It's the most ridiculous, embarrassing looking thing on defense you could possibly imagine. So t- to me, th- that's the issue here. There's, there's not somebody saying, I've been saying, look, Hey, Let's just go. Quit the stupid stuff and let's go. Let's play. You know, and instead, they're all kind of whacked out about it. That suggests to me that this team is not mentally tough and that this team allows outside issues and things like that to matter. You know, they, they will say, we don't care what the media thinks or anybody else thinks, and they shouldn't care about that. That shouldn't matter to them whatsoever. But you shouldn't care when it, you think that, oh, gosh, they're calling cheap fouls on us. Well, they call cheap fouls on you. Keep playing. Play hard. Let's go. You know, and instead, they, they let themselves get talked out of stuff. Well, every time a team says they don't care about what the media thinks, they care way too much about what the media thinks. So yeah. that, that, is a, that is endemic of a, of a team that's not terribly mentally tough. I, 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 the only thing that I could come up with that's the quote-unquote silver lining for fans was this. Hey, the Rangers sucked on the road in the regular season too, and then somehow they turned it on in in, in the playoffs. 
uh, the Cowboys are still going to have to win on the road in the playoffs. I mean, I know right now they've got the division lead, but I think before this is all said and done, they're going to have to win a game or two on the road. So, David, what suggests to you that they can do that now? That they can win on the road against a good team? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, they, they have one I, road they have one road win in the last eight weeks. That's against Carolina, the only team in the NFC South that doesn't have a chance to host Dallas in the first round if it doesn't win the division. So, uh, look, I – it, yeah, I mean, Dallas will win the first – I mean, if Dallas is the wild card, they'll win the first round against the the NFC South on the road. And, and they they can beat – I mean, look what they did to Tampa Bay last year in Tom Brady's last game. I mean, right. that they're better than those teams. But now you get to that next round and you face either Detroit or Philadelphia, then it's a little – look, and, and I think – I also think they can beat Philadelphia. I mean – they're, even though they lost, their game in Philadelphia was one of their better road games this year against a quality opponent. And to me, they just did. There's a difference in losing, being outclassed, and just not making enough plays over the course of the game to win it. I just think they didn't make enough plays over the course of the game to win it. Now you can say that's splitting hairs, but but when I say that, it's just like I, I look. I think Dallas is better than Philadelphia. So yeah, I, mean, I agree with you on that hundred percent. And so I now it comes down to San Francisco. And now here's another interesting thing. And, and I get this and it's, you know, because myself and others were asking, you know, Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott and, and, you know, have you ever been around this team that the, that the difference in performance is so profound at home and road this deep into a season. And I thought Pres- Dak Prescott really gave the best answer there. And he went, well, no, but I've also never been on a team that's as dominant as home as this team is. So I think that skewers a little bit, you know, how dramatic this is. But then he goes into that being said, obviously, we have to perform better on the road. We're going to be on the road more than likely. Uh, we- we've got to get better. But I, I think it's about incre- – <laughs> Incremental improvement. You know, it's at the times that, look, I we were talking about those 15-yard penalties. I, I thought the absolute worst was on Sam Williams on roughing the punter. because sure. That's because, a game changer. Yeah, because Buffalo scored. Dallas actually came back and stopped them. Now, now, here's another issue. This defense, that was the fifth time this year they've allowed a team to score a touchdown on their opening possession. Um, but then they came back, stopped them. That gave them 15 yards. And, and you know, just to me, it changed from there. And the, the other thing I thought Dak said after that game that was very interesting was, well, they took our formula and used it against us. And Dallas's formula is jumping to an early lead, letting the defense be opportunistic, play with the lead, take some chances, and force the other team into taking some chances and out of their comfort zone offensively to scramble the game a little bit. And... Buffalo did that to Dallas. They scrambled the game from the start, and, and Dallas was never able to respond. Let's let's look at these next uh, couple of games here and what you're talking about, because I agree with you 100%. They're a better team than the Eagles are, and and I think the Cowboys know that. That's what suggests to me this issue of about the Cowboys, Cowboys mental state. Dak's Pre- Dak Prescott's record against you know the NFC East is very good since he's been in the league. 31-8, uh, and eight, I believe. Yeah, it's tremendous. He's clearly the dominant quarterback in the division. 
I think he believes he can he can win against any yes. of those teams anywhere, anytime. And I because they I, have <laughs> because you know. they have, and I yeah. and I believe that he can too. So I don't think that's a problem. I think that the Dolphins are not a team, or they don't play bully ball. Well, the the Dolphins no. are one of the fastest teams in the league. They're they're built all around speed, and and I and so I believe they can go on the road and beat the Dolphins. The issue for the Cowboys to me is that they're not a physical team. And uh, and when they run up against a team that is physical, that it gives them problems. Buffalo's a physical team. Uh, you know, the 49ers are a physical team. San Francisco, team. yep. Uh, so Difficult I, matchups for them. Yeah, well, those are those are tough matchups for them. They they and they that's don't. when they have to adhere to their formula of getting out to a lead, where they're and 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 then suddenly the opposing offenses find themselves with more third and eights versus third and twos, which I think Buffalo had four or five of in the game on Saturday Sunday. Yeah, no, no question about that. So I, I do think. <clears throat> Look, the Cowboys have qualified for the playoffs. They knew that going into that game. They found out because of the results of other games uh, on Sunday and Saturday. Uh, so we know they're they're at least going into the playoffs. We know they're going to be playing a team from the NFC South, which is terrible. Uh, so we we can expect them to probably get into the second round. The, the question is going to be who they play at that point. Uh, you know, if they get to the NFC Championship game and they lose to the 49ers. I'm gonna I'm gonna count that as a as a success. <laughs> the fact that they would get to the NFC Championship yeah. game after all these years, uh, they're not built to beat the 49ers, and they and there's things they're gonna have to do in this next draft and in, and in going forward to, to be able to do that sort of thing. I do. Here's the other thing, though that that Seattle win over Philadelphia last night, Dallas at this moment still leads the division, and yeah. and it, it's possible. Could look and and again now it's more likely to talk about both teams winning out than it was with four games left. But it's still and it would go down to the fourth tiebreaker if both teams went out from this point, which you can't determine what's going to happen because it all the the three other teams they all face are involved in what they're tight you know, because that's strength of schedule. But at at this moment, if both teams won out, um, they you know they split the head to head. Tied in division, same record, conference, and common opponents, and it goes down to strength of schedule. So you would actually be going down to decimal points to determine who had. Now, right at this moment, Philadelphia has it, but it depends on how Miami finishes out and Detroit finishes out for their strength of schedule. That could knock Dallas up above, you know, so it's, um, and what Philly has, New York twice, and I think Arizona. But yeah, Kevin, I mean, Kevin brought up the the, the main point again. The, the main point that has been that we spent more time on on this podcast for the last five years than any other point, and that is getting the NFC Championship game. Kevin is the minimal requirement for me. Oh, it is for this team I... to to constitute progress this year. Anything short of that, I think, goes down as a failure. Well, I think it is. I don't, I don't think there's any question about it. Well, because Look, here's the, the way it's worked out this year. The, the NFL is just not very good. You know, uh, for the most part, there's just parody everywhere of mediocre teams. Uh, and, and then you've got, of course, the 49ers, who are clearly the class of the NFL, I think, at this point. You're, you're talking about an era when Patrick Mahomes is still in his prime and the Chiefs are just average. You know, guys. So, I, w- I wanted to ask you this. How many teams would you, wa- would you sit down to watch? 
because the slate of games, like I couldn't even bear to watch Carolina and Atlanta. You know, Miami gives me, I, I have some interest in Miami. They're an exciting team to watch. I have some interest in Kansas City. I have some interest in San Francisco. Obviously, there's some interest in the Cowboys, interest in the in the Eagles. That's five teams. I can't, I don't know that I could come up with another team that would interest me to watch. Is there? Baltimore it's a, it's is not good. an exciting league to watch. Yeah, Baltimore yeah. is good, but they're not all that interesting, right? They, they, they go out and they win games 21 to 13. Um, you know, and they're, again, they are the throwback team. They are the, they are the physical run first sort of team. Now that's going to be a fascinating matchup this weekend, San Francisco and Baltimore. That would be, you know, you you always hear styles make fights. Well, this, this is a heavyweight fight. That one's going to be pretty interesting because I think those two teams are really at the moment built unlike any other teams in the NFL across the board. And, and and what's fascinating about that, David, is that you know we always assume things are happening. It's it's back when you know the St. Louis Rams. You know, remember they were the greatest show on turf, and it's like, oh, everyone is now going to be doing this, and uh, this is the direction the NFL is going. And boy, anybody else has got a run based offense, or at least likes to run the ball. You are so caveman football. And and then you know what happened is that. Now we've gone backwards. The the teams that are most successful, the 49ers being one of those, is they they run a very, you know, uh uh check down kind of offense. Uh and they 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 will go over the top occasionally uh, to challenge you, but they're based on the fact that they play bully ball. You know, they run the ball, uh, uh, they they have a wide receiver who's built like a running back. Uh and they they're very physical on defense, uh, and and that's what they do, and it's very successful. So, but that's just a cycle, Kevin, right? I mean, it's a cycle in every sport, right? Everybody, there's no innovation. Everybody's a copycat once somebody wins. And then the pendulum swings so far that somebody has to go back the other way. They become the outlier. And then everybody rushes to try and go in that direction, too. It, it's going to be fascinating to me to see what the NFL and how it responds because we have seen in the NFL being influenced by college football. We're all, that's where all the innovation has come from, uh, and and teams going more towards kind of almost that air raid type of offense. I'm just wondering at some point if someone's going to be bold enough to try to do that to, to fully incorporate that. The problem is going to be that they run too many plays; it goes too fast. You can't get NFL teams, you know, are getting off 90 snaps a game. You know uh, that that's that's too much to ask of those guys when you're playing 17 games, but. Absolutely. There has to be something to combat a team like the 49ers that they're just so physical uh, and can stop your run uh, and, and and plus, you know, punish you, uh, essentially. There has to be some way to defeat that. And uh, these teams are thinking they're going to beat the 49ers on the way to the Super Bowl. All right, that's going to do it for the Cowboys segment of our podcast. We're going to move over now and just going to have a big old potpourri. Uh, we've had some uh, developments in, in baseball a little bit. Uh, we saw that our old pal Martin Perez has signed a one-year deal with the Pirates. That was not a surprise, right, Evan? Well, it's not a surprise that he was leaving. I didn't. I don't know where he was going, but the, the, the Rangers were not going to re-sign Martin. I mean, the, the interesting thing for me about this is that Perez, uh, it was another step down on the rung of free agents, that Perez signed a one-year deal for $8 million. Um, less than half what he made last year when he actually got the qualifying offer. I would have thought that in the in the eight million dollar range, Perez would have made some sense for the Rangers where they are, where the Rangers are right now. 
but I think there's so much going on behind the scenes that could affect bottom line that maybe the Rangers are also holding out now because there does seem to be some optimism that there will be a, a deal done between MLB and, and and Diamond Sports. Now we're hearing that Amazon may get involved. All of this is a long way of saying that the Rangers may see more of their, their TV rights than I think they expected to. There's still some high higher profile free agents out there, obviously like Jordan Montgomery and, and, and Blake Snell. And does that put the Rangers potentially in a position in January to act opportunistically on a market that has been a little bit slow if they get more indication that they're going to be a little bit more flush with cash? Um, so I, I was a little bit surprised that at $8 million, Perez ended up elsewhere. Um but I think that the Rangers are, are the Rangers are also seeing the possibility that they may have some more options here coming up. Not the least of which is Clayton Kershaw. I mean, Clayton Kershaw remains very much in play for this team. He'd be another second half kind of option, but that's another guy that's going to cost them probably at least eight million dollars in guaranteed money plus incentives based on on starts. So let me ask you this. Are you a little surprised after the, the uh, Shohei Otani signing uh, and going uh, to the Dodgers that something hasn't started to tumble a little quicker here? Um, I, I'm having a hard time answering that because there's part of me that wants to say yes. I also look at how weird the Otani contract is and the fact that Otani is basically a DH this year, that it doesn't really impact the pitching market. Um, and I think that the thing that has really slowed the market down is that there are, you know, half the teams in baseball are basically waiting to see how much money they're going to get from their contracted broadcasting rights. I think that's the bigger um, uh, factor depressing the market right now than anything else. Okay, we're going to talk about some of the broadcast stuff in, in a little while. But first, before we get to that, I want to ask a little bit more about what the Rangers have done. Uh, they did sign Tyler Malley, uh, who the former Reds and Twins uh, pitcher. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, kind of promoting uh, Malley as a guy that the Rangers uh, could pursue at the trade deadline or at some point. Uh, uh, and when he he's, he's like a lot of Rangers pitchers. When he's healthy, he's pretty good. Uh, the problem is keeping him healthy. So this is not a guy that uh, that throws real hard, but he does get a lot of strikeouts, um, and he is not going to be available here at the first of the season. He probably won't be available until at least, I'm guessing, July, uh, and probably maybe not even then, right? He'd be – listen, I think pretty much all the guys that are coming back from injury, which now includes Max Scherzer as well, are all going to be – you know, right around the all-star break, whether it's right before the break or, or right after it, it's, it's, that's the general area that they're talking about. Now you're talking about the possibility of adding Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer. We mentioned Clayton Kershaw and Tyler Malley all to that rotation, you know, between let's say the middle of July and the trade deadline. Um, that's eight Cy Young Award winners there. And I believe those four two years ago combined for 17 war, which was higher than the Rangers starting rotation picked up last year. 
it would be it would be an incredible boost for the second half of the season. The issue right now for the Rangers is they're going to have to find some guys that can help them get through the first half of the season. Right now, they've got five. Their, their, their rotation is Dunning, Gray, Evaldi, uh, Andrew Heaney, and probably Cody Bradford. They're going to have to bring in some competition for, for at least one spot, and they're going to have to bring in a couple of depth options. And I can't stop saying this enough, Kevin. It would really be cool for the Rangers to finally get somebody from their minor league system in whom they've they've invested a lot of money to become an option for that starting rotation. I don't think that's going to be the case at the start of the year, but certainly we can throw all those names out there again. You know, Jack Leiter, uh, I don't think Kamar Rocker is going to be a factor until the second half of the season. Um, uh, Owen White, Cole Wynn, Zach Kent. All of those guys. That's been that's been the one thing that this team has yet to really accomplish uh, in the last two years when it's made progress, and that is developing in-house starting pitching. All right, so here, here's my issue with well, what you've just laid out there is that okay, you can look at it like, well, look at all the guys you got. You know, the Cavalry's coming at the at the trade deadline, right? How great right. is that going to be? My issue for that is that one, you got to get to the trade deadline. A hundred percent. And secondly, how do you know how any of those guys is going to be performing when they come in? And so you won't have a track record for any of those guys. You're guessing about, I mean, really, what are the chances that all those guys are going to be hitting at 100% or 90% or 80% uh, when they're ready to go? And so and so then you're it, it kind of puts Chris Young in a bad place at the trade deadline. You know, this year he knew what he needed, right? Got to go out and get a starting pitcher. Got He goes out and gets Jordan Montgomery. You know, uh, goes out and gets Max Scherzer. So these were things he knew he had to do, and, he, and he, so he did it. I'm thinking that this year at the trade deadline, he'll be a little bit strapped to say, well, okay, we, we need starting pitching, obviously, but I got all these guys coming. Do I really want to give up prospects and, and risk things when, in fact, I've got all these guys coming, but can I really count on them? You know, uh, it, it's going to put Chris in a really difficult position. I don't. I disagree on this only from this perspective. I think by the middle of June he'll have a pretty good idea like where these guys stand. I also think that uh, if this team is in contention, Ray Davis is not going to have an issue at that point adding payroll and going over the 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 tax threshold for a second consecutive year. And I look at it this way: if you have those four options as possibilities for second half um, reinforcements and you get half of those guys, you get a pair of those guys to come through for you, you still done as well as any team is going to do on the trade market when it comes to starting pitching. Plus, you're going to have those guys fresher for the postseason. It's it, it's just, I think roster construction is, is, is changing so much. Nobody goes into it, obviously, looking for 200-inning guys. You know, when I was talking with Rangers personnel about what they need from a starting pitcher, we're talking about 125, 140-inning guys. It, 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 is, it is, we used to say that you'd like to see a team have 8 to 10 starting rotation options. I think now teams are talking about 15-plus. And so it goes back to Chris Young's old 
old saying that he can't ever stop himself from saying, and that is you can never have enough pitching. And if he gets to the trade deadline and there's a really good starting pitcher available, it wouldn't surprise me if he makes the move for that guy, regardless of what he's got coming back health-wise or not. Well, I think that's the, that's the way to be. Uh, I think that's the realistic way to be. You know, there there are certain things that when people say them or do them or commit to them, I, I admire in sports. You know, I, I was telling somebody the other day, Jimmy Johnson, came up the, the name and I said you know the thing that impressed me the most about Jimmy Johnson when he was the coach of the Cowboys was the the first time he cut a third round draft choice uh and I just thought you know that wouldn't have happened under Tom Landry or pretty much any other coach it's it's you just made the decision I don't want to I don't care about looking stupid I don't care about looking like we made a bad draft pick here all I care about is that this guy can't play and uh, we're acknowledging that we're sending that message that no matter who you are, we are, if you can't play, we will get rid of you. Uh, and I just thought it was genius. And, and this is the thing, just what you said about Chris Young. I, I, I do believe that probably he will act that way about it. And, and that is the way to win is that I can't count on all you guys coming back. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and get a guy now if I have to. Now I do think, that as you said, uh, when you're talking about Cody Bradford being your fifth option, you know the, the fifth guy. I think that Cody Bradford might end up being a very good pitcher. I don't, I don't want to say that. I, I I liked what he did last year. He throws strikes. He he seems to have a very low heart rate. You know all of that. All things are, are look really good, and he's left-handed. So I think that's good. But when that's the you're that you're obviously saying that's the end of our options right here when Cody. Correct. Bradford They've, they've, they've still got work to do and it, they're going to have listen they've still got work to do I think they've done a ridiculously good job over the last few years of plumbing um, the free agent market for less than high profile starting pitchers uh, there will be some non-roster guys that get signed and, and that's what they're going to have to do I mean I think that in a lot of cases they're looking for guys who can give them two or three months worth of of solid performance, you know, at the back end of the rotation, they're not looking for guys to give them 150 innings at this point or 200 innings. And the other part of it is Kevin, I think you look at this lineup and what the Rangers have coming back. And in all honesty, the Rangers should have only one front on which they need to potentially act this, both this off season and at the trade deadline. And that is the, the, the pitching staff, you know, it, 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 and we saw last year that the Rangers addressed the pitching staff in, in, in multiple ways, right? They they did add a couple of starters when it looked like their starting rotation didn't need nearly as much work as the bullpen. And then they moved other starters to the bullpen for the postseason, and it made all the difference in the world. So I think Chris has a really good grasp on how he wants to approach pitching. I think there are some things that are out of his control, particularly the TV situation. Uh, but I also think that that January could be a really interesting month for the Rangers. And yes, they're not done yet. They, they, they can't be done yet because they, they need more options than, than what they've got to start the season in the rotation. All right. You brought up the TV thing again. All right. So I'm I'm reading about that today. I I tell you, it's like calculus to me to figure all this stuff out. And it is really makes my brain hurt. But from, from what I can tell now that Amazon is getting involved in all this, if if that does indeed happen, and, and Amazon, uh, I, I guess uh, they will they 
that Valley would remain the operator, but but Amazon would own it. Would it become a streaming model full time at that point if Amazon were to to become a player? Here? I don't think it would become a streaming model full time, but I think what Amazon would do would potentially give you the ability to negotiate deals with Bally that are more re- or Diamond Sports that are more realistic to keep Diamond afloat for the cable market and give you the revenue from direct-to-consumer streaming options um, that MLB thinks is consistent with what that what the value should be. The problem is that MLB does not want to give away rights just to Bally as as part of their deal because they 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 think they're they're they think those rights are worth more than than just added amenity. They think those rights have real material value. And if, if Amazon gets involved, I think that would be, you know, a best case scenario for, for MLB and for all the teams. And who knows when it's all said and done, you might see the teams walk away with a little bit more money than, than, than they were counting on. Well, it's still, it's still really confusing. I know it is for, for, uh, uh, listeners and readers, because uh, I uh, I'm getting emails about that kind of thing. You know, of course, it, and also with the Rangers, CJ Nikowski, uh left the broadcast team to go do the Braves. I think that looks like a pretty much just a deal where, where CJ is from Alpharetta, Georgia, and I guess he still he still lives there, uh, and maybe that just made things easier from a uh, for his his family and, and travel issues. Uh, that is all it was, wasn't it, Evan? Well, yeah, I mean, he is, I, I will say this, because I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and CJ's not from Atlanta, Georgia. He He's from New York. He's your typical carpetbagger. Wow. Um, but no, he moved to, uh, he, he does live year-round in Atlanta now, and his kids are, uh, at least one of his kids is still in school. I think I think one has already gone off to college, but um yeah, he never he never moved here. He continued to make his home in Atlanta. And when the Brave situation opened up with Jeff Francoeur wanting to step back a little bit, uh, it just made sense for the Rangers to allow CJ to go to the Braves. Now, what the Rangers do, I don't know. I think they've got some options. I think David Murphy has shown some real promise and, and could do more of the analyst role. I think they could, you know... Th- I'd certainly be open to the possibility of this club giving Jared Sandler an expanded role where he and Dave Raymond could could share some play-by-play on TV, and I think Jared certainly can handle the analyst role. Um, I, I I think that if Derek Holland doesn't end up with a baseball job this year, you know he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. If he doesn't end up with a baseball job, I think it's really possible that Derek will pursue um, a role in. Uh, um, in broadcasting, and there's a former, another former player named Vinny Rotino, uh, who used to be a Rangers scout actually, and is doing some some work for Milwaukee uh, on their TV uh, broadcast. Who I think would also be a um, a potentially attractive option. So I think I think there's the Rangers are going to be in position to 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 handle this. Um, you know. As with everything, with the exception of Tom Grieve and Eric Nadell, anybody who goes through the radio or TV booths basically polarizes the crowd. I've, I've seen my feed has been half, thank God CJ's gone, and half, oh my God, he was great. So um, I thought CJ was really informative. I thought there were, there were occasions where I thought the numbers could get a little bit too 
too heavy for for some listeners. Um, but I do think that the Rangers have stepped up their game in terms of bringing uh, in-game analysis with him, and I think they're going to try and continue to move in that direction. Yeah, let me just say that about that. You know, I heard lots of complaints about CJ from people as well, and, and, and you know, you just never can tell. People are, are attracted to or uh, repelled by the stupidest things. Uh, and what I know is that I learned a lot of baseball listening to CJ. Uh, and and I, I love the fact that he was so prepared. How can you not be impressed by that? A guy who comes to, to the park and he's prepared and he has all this information he's willing to give it to you. Now, maybe he gave you too much. Maybe he talked too much. I grew up and used to listening to Gene Elston, uh, who was, to me, is about as spare as you can probably possibly be in his broadcasting style you could hear the you could hear the crowd behind him all the time there would just be silence at times and i and i personally love that i asked eric nadell what did you think of gene elson he goes i thought he was boring uh so you know to each his own on what you want to get out of a broadcast but uh i do think that uh that you are better served in this era now and trying to educate listeners in in what's going on in the game and what these people are doing and, and what this means, you know, when, when someone can tell you something and it's helping you understand the game better, uh, how can that not be a good thing? Yeah, I, the, other, the other part of the whole CJ argument was, was just something that got, he got off to a poor start because he liked a, 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 a tweet that was associated with a Proud Boys um, emblem. And I, it was a, kind of the outset of these, of these hand motions becoming part of our landscape. I don't know if he knew what he was liking or not liking. Um, but I, I do think that in some regards, look, I, I, I tune into those guys for their baseball analysts. I, I don't, for their baseball analysis, I don't tune in to, to listen to their political discussions. And so I thought it was a little bit unfair that there were a lot of people who basically, and it speaks to where we are in this country that, that determined that CJ was this raging, far-right personality, and they weren't going to give him the benefit of the doubt on his baseball information. And I thought his baseball information was was always good and, like you say, really prepared. And he put a lot of work into being prepared. And, and I think it's unfortunate and unfair when people don't acknowledge this is what he's there to do, and he did it fairly well. Yeah, great voice, too. Uh, so – uh, we'll, we'll wish CJ well, uh, with the Braves. It's kind of, it's, it's unfortunate. He's going to such a bad organization, uh, to work for. Um, anyway, that was a, that was a little joke there. I have applied for the combination position of TV analyst and trophy transportation coordinator. Um, I've tried to let the Rangers know that I could do two jobs for them for, for the price of one. So They're not letting John Blake carry the trophy around, are they? The commissioner's trophy? The man, the man who put the silver boot in his trunk and broke it? Uh, oh well, apparently you you weren't at the Dallas Morning News offices last week when John Blake came by for a meeting with our our upper level personnel, and happened to basically have the World Series trophy in the trunk of his car, kinda, because um, he was on the way to take it to Round Rock to show it to Nolan Ryan and, and his wife, uh, Ruth, <laughs> um, and uh, 
at the end of this meeting with the higher-ups, John said, oh, yeah, I, I can bring the trophy in. And so he put on his little white gloves, and he brought out the Tiffany's bag, and he unfurled the trophy. And then for the next 45 minutes, there was a steady parade of people in the DMN offices going down to – we 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 put it up there by the Rock of Truth sign, and there was uh, a steady parade of people going to the World Series trophy and taking their picture with it. So. Rob Manfred, please don't ever refer to it as a piece of metal again. It makes people happy because I saw a lot of people in that office really happy to see that trophy. And it made me happy to see John with like the little Mickey Mouse white gloves having to carefully (laughs) pack it back up and and load it in the car to take it to Round Rock. Well, that would have been a good look. I'd like to see that, John. Not, Not the most careful guy. You see those Cowboy Super Bowl trophies if you pay $15 to take a tour at the Star. Is that how much that cost, the tour, $15? I'm not sure. I think it did at one point, yeah. Really? I'm not sure. No. Yeah. But, but they're in the lobby. You can just walk in and not take a tour. Yeah, that's right. That, I usually just go in and pick one up and walk out with it, you know? That's, uh, you know, say, hey, I throw it around the, the lot out there, you know? We get out hmm. there and toss it around, uh, you know, at the Star. It's a lot of fun. So, Kevin, we got to tell people we're getting out of here, but we also need to tell them about our special end-of-the-year episode that we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to have a year-end episode. It's going to come next week. It's going to be a little thing about the top 10 sports stories of the year locally. So uh, be sure that you tune in for that. So that's going to do it for our uh, last regular podcast of 2023. We will have that special uh, edition come out next week. And then when we come back after that, it'll be a whole new year and and all kinds of stuff would have happened by then. And uh, we'll find out at that point uh, if if Texas actually made it to the uh, national championship game because they will have played in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see how that all goes and, and we'll have a lot of other stuff to talk about. All right. So from everybody in here and everybody out there, thanks and happy holidays.